The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended, and we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program, outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. <laughs> some people will call you mad, some people will call you heroes, uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from, literally, from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry come over and give us a visit aviation-extended.co.uk and remember there's no e at the beginning of extended extended welcome to the wings over new zealand show with dave homewood welcome to the wings over new zealand show i'm your host dave homewood in this episode we hear a talk given at a Wings Over New Zealand forum meet at Wigram by Matt Hayes. Matt and his brother Dan have spent the last decade trying to locate a lost Corsair fighter, which appears to have crashed into the bush somewhere on the west coast of the South Island. Matt gives a really interesting talk about all the possibilities and all the experiences that they've had trying to find this elusive aircraft. Here's that talk from almost two years ago. Uh, we've got an interesting talk coming up now from Matt Hayes, who's going to tell us about the missing Corsair, which uh, disappeared on the west coast. And Matt and his brother and a few others have been um, hunting for it for a few years now, really, haven't you? Yeah, it's been good seven years, seven, eight years since I first sort of got serious about it, trying to find it. So, yeah, I didn't have a... I did have a PowerPoint, however, I seem to have left it at home, so I apologise for that. <laughs> however, however, I do have some of the original stuff that I do want to show you, so I've still got that, and uh, I'll do my best with it. Um, yeah, so this, the subject of the Corsair has always been very interesting to me, in that my father, uh, with my brother, uh, spoke about it when we were both, well, as long as I can remember, that there's this plane in a bush, like a lot of you guys like like to imagine, with uh, being aviation nuts, there's planes un all preserved sitting there nicely. However, 11th November 1944, so that's coming up uh, in two weeks' time, 72 years since it's been in the bush, uh, supposedly, and hopefully not in a river. Uh, so this obviously being the New Zealand-based Corsair out of Hood, Aerodrome up in Masterton, flown by, no doubt, Keith Skilling there in the uh, Marky Air Show, putting on another beautiful display. So... As I said, uh, Father got us interested in it when we were both younger. And I'd like to acknowledge uh, Chris Rudge, who wrote Missing, of which, uh, if you haven't read that, I highly recommend you checking it out. It's known as the Bible of Missing Aircraft in New Zealand. So I read that uh, late primary school, early intermediate, when I was back, back then. And uh, yeah, went through all the aircraft in New Zealand that were missing and became somewhat fascinated of it much like uh, MH370 that went missing. Uh, it always leads the mind to boggle. Now uh, this thing drives me nuts, it truly does. I uh, find myself lying awake at night 
every time the subject comes up. So when someone, I'm not going to lie, when someone does say you want to give me a talk about it, some part of me says I don't want to do it because for about a week straight I'm yeah, lying awake at night pondering scenarios and as I say why shortly, uh, why it's so interesting. Another fundamental um, gentleman up in uh, Hastings or Bridge Park being Gavin Grimmer who's uh, conducted some amazing research into the disappearance. Uh, so Gavin's also, uh, we've sort of, sort of uh, fed each other on in a way, together with my brother Dan who's uh, heavily involved in that, he can't be here today however. So yeah, as I said I got learned about it in school days, the missing Corsair, this one being NZ5517. There's appearance there are of what's two missing in New Zealand, the other being NZ5544, which went missing a year later in 45, something near up near Fanupai. However, that's a good chance that's in the drink somewhere, but a bit more difficult to find. So even though it is 72 years coming up next year, of all the aircraft missing in New Zealand, uh, this one's the one that stands out for me. And I personally believe we'll be the most likelihood of being found someday as opposed to some of the aircraft, other aircraft that are missing in the country and more down toward Fiordland and uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. So these guys, are uh, a formation of four. Actually, before I start, I'm going to show of hands how many of you guys actually have read into the disappearance anyway. Right, so I recommend you, uh, if you haven't, it's well worth having a read, particularly missing. And uh, then Gavin has a website findlostaircraft.co.nz or uh, you can check out his book Traced It's Still Missing and uh, see Gavin's done some mind-boggling research into it and yeah, he's laid awake at night as well. So later on when I got a bit older and we learned how to drive a car I thought hmm we'll get into maybe trying to find it and uh, yeah it's always an interesting subject there are people out there who think we have already found it and are keeping quiet so yeah, the media interviews will wait for now. Keep that uh, under the belt. Uh, so, yeah, about eight years ago, I uh, got in touch with uh, Gavin and we spent considerable time going over it, where the likelihood of it is, and then uh, went after it. So at the beginning, these guys, if you guys don't know, they took off from Ardmore at 8.45 in the morning on a Saturday. These four guys and four... Corsairs were given permission uh, for one last basically cross-country run before they were going to Guadalcanal and seeing active service. So Bob Reynolds, the leader of the flight, escorted these guys down from Ardmore through New Plymouth and uh, on nearing Stevens Island, just uh, north of Nelson there, uh, running ahead of time. He thought, um, right, I'll give these guys a bit more time so we'll deviate to Westport. Now, when they arrived over Westport around the 10.30 area time zone uh, according to the official court of inquiry uh, they had a bit of antics you might say and it later came out that uh, Westport happened to be Bob Reynolds hometown so with his parents on the ground supposedly put on a bit of a show now where it gets a bit interesting is from here on what actually happened and I'll do my best uh, to be considerate of the family and try to be respectful in the best I can. Uh, fortunately, I was never able to interview the pilots, uh, the, the crew of the flight. Uh, it would have been great to do so. Chris Rudge uh, did mention uh, he interviewed Peter Shepard and uh, yeah, said a few interesting things, uh, particularly uh, Bob Reynolds, who uh, I've been in touch with uh, people who knew him and his family, and uh, it does come across in a way that he was always holding something back. Now this has kept me interested in that when they did leave Westport and proceed on route to here, what it was known back then, Christchurch, uh, things got interesting in that uh, they either, when they were climbing up, they entered cloud. Now I hope to believe that the aircraft are on, uh, well I like to think what happened as a pilot now there was some weather moving up that day from Fiordland which was around 12 hours from reaching Christchurch however that seems to have started occurring, developing on the west coast slightly earlier. So roughly around 3,000 feet or so these guys encountered a bit of cloud and uh, 
continued up through it. Now Peter Shepherd is running number four in the formation as a fee formation that day, as I've read. Started having engine uh, experiencing engine issues or engine cough and asked for permission to return to Westport. Uh, Bob Reno was a flight leader granted that permission and uh, after going through about 8,000, 9,000 feet still in cloud, uh, elected to turn the whole formation around, the remaining three, and return to Westport, not knowing the true extent of the cloud, and also wanted to make sure back in those days, being a fighter aircraft, if one aircraft was to break the formation, he wanted to ensure his security that it did reach Westport safe and uh, sound. So, uh, Bob uh, turned the formation uh, to port to the left, and in doing so, uh, poor Brian Barstow, otherwise known as Tiny or Curly as he was known, uh, being on the right side of the formation, slipped out and was never seen again. Now, that is the official verdict of what's been said in the Court of Inquiry, which of what it was two. However, one has to keep an open mind as to what went on that day, and uh, yeah, things do get interesting when you start taking into account witness reports and that sort of thing. Now, there was a report the aircraft, after beating up Westport, went over to the Deniston mine there and put on a bit of a, a bit of a show for the guys down there, and then proceeded on to Christchurch. So. It's interesting in that if you read the official uh, reports and uh, anyone who do so, this is where I would like to remain respectful to the family, however, things don't add up, the cold hard facts, they don't. And one has to always keep an open mind uh, in terms of trying to work out where they are. Um, so I have, in my mind, tried to put a puzzle together where they roughly are and based on um, position reports, or the witness reports, one of which being Leo Bell near Anangahua there, gave a very interesting report. Now there were no reports from uh, Reefton as such, so it's likely the flight never got that far, and they did turn around early. Now Gavin has done some amazing research into climb performance, fuel endurance, and that sort of thing. I've done as much as I can. However, there does come a point you can't do any more, and you've just got to face reality and get to the bush and try and find it. Now, anyone who's been into that uh, Papua range on the west coast is uh, likely to, to know that it's, it's difficult, it's tough going. Uh, there aren't too much animals up that way, so in terms of hunting coming across it, uh, very unlikely. So it may be sitting there, it may not. Uh, there have been numerous sightings over the years. It's mentioned in Chris's Missing and Gavin's made an uh, elaborate on that as well. Um, there's reports of deer colours uh, walking on the wings of an open cockpit corsair in the bush, this sort of thing. Um, and also the West Coast pub stories on a Friday night. Some interesting things have no doubt developed there and come out. So, yeah, about eight years ago, me and my brother Dan thought mm, we'll go and find it, give it a good hard crack. And uh, yeah, we went into the, into the bush there and uh, had a had a go and then realised she's it's a bit disheartening <laughs> getting in there. It's a dense bush, it's soft with how the rain develops. The terrain is, as the Air Force quoted, horrendous. Uh, steep near vertical cliffs, that sort of thing. Over the years, there's been numerous search efforts conducted by numerous parties, including the Air Force, who have put uh, teams uh, in terms of outdoor ed, that sort of thing, and learning to try and find it. However. As of yet, nothing's been found. Now, as a result of talking to Gavin, he, uh, back in 19, just after the war ended, 1947-ish, was when they started doing some aerial mapping. Now, that's where it gets a bit interesting in that what Gavin obtained, he obtained a photograph and he went through it, scrutinising it a lot. And uh, he came across a lot of objects and through the help of Google Earth was able to analyse their likely size and that sort of thing. Does it fit a course does it not? And you've got to remember with the human mind, but a confirmation bias, you're trying to visualise something, you're trying to see something and uh, you've got to be definitely be aware of that. So Gavin actually came across an image 
I'd be the Kingsolma Valley, which is just uh, to the southeast of Westport. And I'll bring that up for you. It's quite interesting. Now, if you guys uh, can see that, again, remember what I said about confirmation bias. I want you to keep an open mind because, uh, like myself, I'm not coming to have found anything, nor is Gavin. However, it's always good to seek other uh, people's viewpoints on what, uh, what you may be seeing. So what this is a Gurwill image overlay of a 1947 aerial photograph taken from 19,000 feet. And what you see maybe here is a bit of debris impact with what looks like a Corsair. So as a result of that, Gavin got quite excited, as did we, and uh, he went in and uh, conducted two searches of that particular area. However, did not find anything. Uh, Gavin uh, is more particularly after the Dragonfly AFB, and all credit to him for that. He's done some amazing research into that if you read up on it and finding it. Uh, so he sort of said with the terrain, as you can see here, it's quite significant. And uh, whether it's there or not, left to be found out. However, it's my intention to, uh, me and my brother have another go this year. Uh, next month or December, depending on the, the weather conditions. Uh, we have been all through this area numerous times over the years, so you, as you can imagine, it's starting to get somewhat tedious and wishing there was another way of trying to truly find out if it's there. Now, unfortunately, with this terrain, it's quite significant. And here, and I've looked, analysed it, we've taken GPS readings and that sort of thing, everything we've been over, uh, analysed photographs of the bush and how long it's like to have been there, if it's been... Uh, regrown that sort of thing. Um, now there was a big earthquake in Nungahua in 1969 which does play a bit interesting now with this terrain being quite significantly steep. If that was to collapse somewhat there's every chance it's now buried which is more disheartening. But uh, if you further analyse this photograph I'm not sure if you can see what you're seeing there. These are some different viewpoints. Um, standing on the ridge on Google Earth, and uh, when I first started seeing this, we started to uh, put the overlay to Google Earth. Then we're trying to make it out: is this truly what it could be? Um, can an aeroplane actually get there? So as a result of that, I took an aeroplane over there numerous times, and uh, didn't quite reenact what if that was <laughs> if that was there, but. Um, yeah, we did get the plane into some interesting positions in terms of uh, working out where the Corsair was likely to be in terms of breaking the formation at 9,000 feet and then based on performance, I had to take that into account and is this theoretically, could it possibly be there? And if he did, I, it's my um, sort of opinion that if he is there, he's done a good job because it's, it's a very narrow valley at top end of King Solomon there, very remote. Uh, there's not much likelihood of anyone coming across it down there. As, as you can see, it's quite significantly steep. So there are some numerous reported sightings around this area, however, with Mount Galileo and the Haggard Creek area. Of course, he'd been there. So as I said, as a result of that, we've uh, been over there a lot, hacking through this bush. And it is hard going, I'm not going to lie. And uh, a lot of people who do see this photo first thing, straight away want to go out there whenever they see it. If that was midnight, they'll be in the car and on one on they go and uh, run through the bush like this magical Corsair sitting there. You, know, you soon realise when you start getting through this, Google Earth makes it look all pretty and it's all obvious, but uh, Gavin Grimmel will definitely tell you, be the first to tell you how difficult it is, and he's having been directly right there, uh, having photographed everything around him, taking into account now coming up soon two years. It's not going to look like it was then, if that's supposedly it. Uh, so that's definitely the most convincing photo. I'll try and show you another one where you can overlay some dimensions. So this is another one. This is uh, flying from east-west. Now, Leo Bell in Ungahua, as I said, made a very interesting claim. Uh, after the war, three years, or three, sorry, after the war, three years after the Corsairs went missing. Now that's open to speculation in terms of the human mind and remembering events of that day. However, I've always listened to it being one of the more report to that area, there's no more um, apart from the Westport itself no one really en route who claimed to have seen it 
So, Leo uh, mentioned that uh, he, he heard a, a craft formation through the mist and the weather deteriorating that day. And he said Peter Shepherd being number four returned. Now he, what I make out, he witnessed that uh, further north to the north and then heard the aircraft formation turning around. And then after that's where things get a bit interesting in terms of his sightings and times. And if you read into, uh, I think Chris mentions it missing, or Gavin certainly does, uh, the supposed times and where this aircraft was supposedly was. Now, it's my opinion that that was uh, Bob Brainell's been the flight leader flying around at high altitude, uh, realising he's made a bit of a screw up here and led this poor guy into uh, becoming lost. Now, uh, what I will mention is as this formation turned around, important things to remember uh, Brian Barstow, the poor gentleman missing, uh, had 219 hours or so flying, of which he had zero time logged IF in the Corsair. He did have numerous time on the P40 IF, however. There's always, uh, Chris mentions in Missing and a lot of other guys have come to the conclusion that uh, as a result of the supposed aerobatics over Westport or Deniston, the artificial horizons were caged. Now, anyone who's done a bit of flying will, will know or read into it, if you go into IF, into IMC, Instrument Meteorological Conditions, and uh, you're not used to it, you've got an artificial horizon that's caged, plus the stress, external stresses, that may influence your... Uh, subsequent movements of the controls. It's also important to note that in a formation turning to the left, Brian being on the right hand side of the formation did have a record in his flight log that he had uh, in a previous flight that he made did come into contact in the formation. So he would be wary of that happening again. Now every time I give this talk I always, it's generally to pilots or whatever, and I ask for their opinion, what would you do? having that history of colliding information, or information that's already turning left, which are continued left, hoping that you're going to come across them again, or which you turn to the right. Now that's very interesting when you start to try and work out where he is, where he's likely to be. Uh, another interesting fact, as Bob Reynolds was questioned through the Court of Inquiry when it was starting to get a bit more serious as he was facing court-martial, was that he made the claim that Brian, uh, as he was prior to turning, reported that he had winds, uh, oil on his windscreen and could not see out. Which makes you wonder if someone's saying that to you in your formation, I don't know why you'd continue to turn the formation in, in the cloud. So what I believe, as to a few others, is that Bob was under a bit of pressure and uh, rattled that out, not intentionally how it may be, but uh, trying to basically cover his butt in a way, sadly. So it said... Family and uh, whoever spoken to Bob, so a lot of people have said that he was acting like he was holding something back, and it's my belief that he might have realised uh, he's made a bit of an error here, and uh, he's responsible. It's reported that on the way down from uh, Ardmore, a beam about Wellington, I don't know how this came out and uh, how the court verified it, but. Uh, Supposedly, Barstow's radio failed en route, and Bob made the claim that uh, he believed, uh, as they were about to turn the formation, as I said, uh, Brian made the report to the flight leader that uh, he was experiencing oil on his canopy and couldn't see out. So you start to think about, okay, so how is Wellington then confirming that he's got a radio issue if he's able to talk to him? And back in those days, it wasn't just your standard mic plugged in. You actually had to pick the boom up and, and speak, so it was quite a difficult process being information in cloud. So, uh, as well as this, yeah, we, we got into the bush there and uh, hacked away and over a lot, flown the aeroplane over a lot as of two months ago was my latest flight over there and uh, conducted a lot of aerial reconnaissance in a way, not expecting to see anything. It was about as much as I can do in the winter time when the the weather is the way it is and also the amount of daylight available it's just theoretically impossible to get in there so uh, some of the summers some of the general time that uh, we get in there uh, said uh, we're going to try and get in next month or December around the January where this generally settles down around February March wait for a big high to come in 
the anti-cyclone and uh, we can spend a couple of days in there and really, really have a good look at it. Um, it is interesting in terms of um, what people say if you find it. Uh, a lot of people have given me advice because um, it is the data plates obviously worth a bit of money and now people say to me to take it so just so that uh, if someone else would come in. However, uh, for the understanding, I have no intention to actually touch it. Uh, we have resorted in trying to get any sort of opinion we can, any help we can, and uh, we have gone to a uh, clairvoyant psychic, and uh, there are some very, uh, anyone who's, well, for me and my brother personally have experienced being in this bush, I've always kept an open mind as to religion, that sort of thing. However, there is a strange energy up there when you are camping overnight in the bush. And uh, one of the things we got told is that Brian, uh, is this soul, 22 years old there, doesn't want to be found. He's happy for, but he says that you don't have to worry because he's not in it. Um, we just don't need to stroll too far, supposedly, from the aircraft, which is interesting. But uh, if that supposedly is it, it certainly looks like he may have survived the impact. However, that's really quite significantly remote. You've got Westport out just through here. So it's quite a way, there's no way if you sustained any sort of injury, let alone no injury, to walk yourself out of there is pretty, pretty hard going. Uh, a couple of days worth. Where's that photo taken in relation to the Makanui? Uh, the Makanui's to the north. So you're talking about the south branch of the Makanui's to the north. So this is uh, over here, here you've got uh, the Ohukanui River. And you've got the black water just running up through here. Um, so that raises my next point there. So the Mohokanui, up to the north there, there's supposed sightings of the aircraft up near New Creek, Slate Creek, of which could be the course there. So this, this year, uh, me and Dan plan to get in and have a good go at uh, this area here, up near the Mount Galileo, just around here, and look around the tops of that. And also scour an area right at the bottom here, just to make sure that if it is there, uh, or if it is, then we're going to find it and uh, not just leave the area. Um, it is difficult in terms of uh, lugging cameras around that sort of thing, trying to video everything to analyse it later. Um, it's very, anyone who's been in the bush when you're trying to find something like this, you've got to understand now that that course is not going to look like that. It's uh, going to be grown over, there may not be much left of it. So we've really got, you've really got to train your mind what you're actually trying to look for. And in doing that, what i found, and Dan, is that when you are looking, going through the bush, you do tend to look at things more than you should just to make sure that tree trunk is a tree trunk. And the only way, really way around that is to go and touch it and, and scare a bit of moss back or something to make sure that it is what it is. But uh, if you've been up around a Corsair, it's a giant aircraft, four-ton fighter. It will generally should be a bit there, you know. Um, so with the Slate Creek to the north, and New Creek and Mohokanui area. Uh, I've analysed that a lot. Um, we're going to try and get in here this, this year, and then we're going to try and do another search uh, to the north as well, the Mohokanui. The first time we checked that out, we haven't been in there. And there's been reports of finding people flying flying helmets and boots and that sort of thing up there, which is quite uh, somewhat interesting. I'm not sure how uh, verified they are. Uh, now, with the Mohokanui up there to the north, there's only really two aircraft that can be, one being the Corsair, but more interestingly, in my view, and there are supposed sightings, if anyone has read the uh, Hood and Moncrief first flight across the Tasman, maybe that. Uh, the reports of the Slate Creek are that uh, it's the description of the aircraft, what they're seeing, doesn't resemble a Corsair. It sort of, in my mind, resembles a Harvard, but the only Harvard it could likely be is NZ-964, I don't think it could venture that far, uh, anyone's read into that one, from Woodburn, be that particular aircraft. So it all comes down to whether those aircraft, uh, I don't think we'll ever know what they got up to that day, whether they put on a show at Deniston, in which case then it may be the Corsair up that to the north. However, um, in my opinion, it's, uh, the Corsair has uh, been taken off and they would have come up through the buller here and supposedly broken right uh, if Barstow did that knowing he didn't want to fly into number three. Now being an IMC, it was potentially a caged artificial horizon, you, 
not knowing the true extent of that cloud, perhaps he's come down, bearing in mind he's got minimal flight experience, both on instruments. Now if you take into account uh, Peter Shepard flying number four that day, Peter Shepard, whether he had the engine problems, once he landed back at uh, Westport, one of the comments he made was that he believed the reason he was experiencing the engine issue was fuel starvation on that tank. Now if Barstow had experienced the same thing, particularly in the cloud coming out and a uh, bit of a low power setting, uh, finding himself flying from into the board here, uh, west, uh, east to west, may have found himself underneath the cloud but needing to outclimb this ridge and trying to do so, hasn't been able to do it, experienced potentially the same uh, issues as Peter Shepard did and he's been forced to try and turn around and found himself there. And that's one theory I, I believe, if that's truly him there, then that's maybe um, each to their own with that sort of thing. That, that keeps me awake at night, as I said. Now, some other photos. This track here that we believe, it's, it's not quite easy to see, however. This is some of the bush in, uh, from Gavin of the particular area. And uh, Gavin, I think, mentioned... Uh, uh, he videoed everything he was seeing and he was going through after, after which analysing it. Uh, and trying to see what he could see. Uh, so what you see here is that uh, uh, Copton view of that uh, image in 1947 aerial photograph with the aircraft supposed track, if that is it, with a bit of debris impact here. So this is three years after the supposed accident there and wings. Now Gavin, I said, went through and did some calculations on wings and uh, tried to put an aircraft there. And it just so happened that the wingspan and that sort of thing added up to be the accurate dimensions. Now, I've analysed this photo over and over and over, and yeah, sometimes I think mm, we need to try to eliminate this if it is it, or try somewhere else. Um, now, we have looked into some other technology. Uh, LiDAR being one, a helicopter friend of mine uh, suggested that. However, with the dense canopy of the bush, it's not so much, uh, they, but he believes, and the, his technician said, um, able to sort of detect it. But another uh, one that Gavin is sort of looking at uh, in terms of finding EBU, the Cherokee 6 down in Fjordan there, was the employing the use of uh, well, some technology out of Europe from Saab, in the Saab Caribou system, and that supposedly can detect fence wire through dense canopy bush on a VHF system. Uh, so we're looking into that as well. It's expensive. We're sort of hoping the government may come up with something there, but uh, not holding hope. <laughs> but it would be able to... Uh, I know that an effort's been put forward for the government to purchase something like that so they could find uh, missing people as well um, who have strayed into the bush if they're carrying any sort of hunters or if they're carrying a bit of a, um, a shotgun or something. If that technology supposedly is correct, it may be able to help, help them with that. Um, what else is here? So there's another image there. Um, uh, you've got to, as I said, you've got to keep an open mind as to all this. Um, that definitely, certainly uh, fits the spot in terms of an aircraft uh, being there. I said it's, uh, it's, it's quite significant, the terrain, and trying to put an aeroplane, so you made a couple of passes through there. Um, you can only get down so low. What's your AMEs Oh, This is not a, this is just Google Earth here, so this is actually on the ridge line. So in the real world, there'd be bush through here, you'd never see it. So what, what, what would you estimate? Oh, the actual height. Right, so it's around 3,000. This area here. Uh, so bearing in mind the cloud that day was around supposedly 3,000. Do you guys have any uh, questions with any of this? Yep. Oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Um, you met with the Nangahuma earthquake and that looks like it's been a, <coughs> excuse me, a bit of a slip zone. Yes. The, I mean, if that can make it if you're buried under tons of rockets, you mentioned you don't want to think about that too much, but is it indication as to further damage from the photos that Gavin got in the 40s to now that it... Yeah, that's one thing I've analysed heavily, 
and uh, particularly uh, this area around here sort of looked like if there is a physiocrat is buried then there's chance this is all moved. However everything I've come across and analysed I can't see it moving too much. Uh, the only thing is with this image here obviously it doesn't exist anymore in terms of if you were to go to Google Earth and dial on these coordinates you'll just see bush having representing it's overgrown now. Mm. Uh, but also with the heavy snowfalls and rain and everything like that, anything coming down here potentially have moved it. And uh, the earthquake as well, having potentially put it down the bottom, then uh, I don't believe Gavin truly searched the bottom. There's always his intention to come back and have another crack, but you can only cover so much ground in a day, really, um, doing this. So it is it is definitely difficult. It would be nice if uh, the Air Force came to the hand, really, and chucked us in a NH90 or something, just dropped us off and helped us out. But if you go into New Creek, you'll find there's a between 30 and 60 foot sheer wall where it dropped during the earthquake. Yeah, that's it. So we've analysed all that terrain through there as well, and it's definitely it's definitely hard going. Um, as I said with Dan, my brother and I, with researching this thing, we're prepared to go for the rest of our lives doing it. Not so much just trying to find the Corsair, it's not so much a case of being proud and finding it and everything, but it's just a mystery that we want to solve and uh, work out. But it's also the thing that really gets us. We have always loved the West Coast, always have done since I was young. Whether you find it or not, it's a beautiful part of the country. It truly is. Um, hiking up through those rivers there, no one really gets to it. The birds will come right up to you, having never really seen human life, and they're always quite interested. And it's, it's something you don't really see in the cities and that sort of thing. So whether you find it or not, we're quite happy to hike through there and... Uh, give it our best shot and run around and uh, eventually I'm uh, always happy to give the coordinates of where we have searched anyone subsequently uh, searching so they can eliminate it and uh, help themselves and try and find it. If you read the file, which I'm sure you have done, the most telling sentence in it is from the final officer who did the final report was, and I think this is just about the amazing real truth this matter will never be known due to the cleanishness of the people of this coast. Yeah. Sums it up. yeah, that's it. So unfortunately, uh, anyone who reads into that, the, the disappearance in the Court of Inquiry and... For, just for your interest, uh, when Bob Reynolds came to the site where the Air Force was camped on the Air Force search, I wasn't there at the time, I was in the bush. He made the comment to the detachment commander that we were looking in the wrong place. Yeah, that's, that's been my biggest fear. And, and um, I spoke to Bob Reynolds, um, he was, uh, when I got down onto what I deduced, uh, have you read the whole file? Mm -hmm. Yep, numerous right. times. Okay, so you know that there was a site, and I think from memories of over right right Kahu? Yep, yep. Right, so the first aircraft was Barstow, and the second aircraft was Reynolds. And when I put that to him, he said, how'd you work that out? And shut up. Enjoy your own conclusion. Yeah, so that Rotokahu signed me Leo Bell. Hmm? Leo Bell from Rotokahu. I can't remember who it was, but it was Rotokahu. Yeah. If you work out the direction of flight of the aircraft, yep. it puts it right up that valley. I've spent probably more time than you have looking for. So what valley are you talking about? Uh, well, we're looking in Slate. Right. Yep. And uh, the one next to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you go up there, you'll probably find food dumps that were left up here in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so there, not, there are no other uh, aircraft crashes that are known to be up in that neck of the woods? No, um, not. That not up this area, no. There have been bits and pieces found. One part was a hiller that was identified as coming from a hiller. However, nothing, it's just it's vanished. But uh, that's been one of my theories that's kept me awake at night. I would love to have uh, spoken to Bob and had the privilege you had there. and. Initially, um, there was an order come out from uh, Air Staff in Wellington that no one was to talk to them about it. And of course, not being um, a member of the Air Force, uh, I don't follow those things. We went over and talked to him. He was happy to talk about anything except that. Of course, when I brought that subject up, that was when the Corsair business closed. And I also talked to the other two guys that were on the flight as well, and to Barstow's sister. Hmm. That's really interesting. It's definitely one thing that's uh, kept us awake, wondering the... Uh, go ahead. Would uh, drone technology be of any assistance? Drone technology? Mm -hmm. 
we've got one. We have invested in one. We've also invested, uh, well, Dan particularly being an engineer, has built some uh, two land cruisers appropriately registered personalised plate, NZ5517, that uh, people won't recognise as a personalised plate, however. <laughs> um, so to drive up these rivers, get us up as far as we can to help us into it. Uh, so a heli helicopter is, is, a, is a... You can use the helicopter to get in there. Uh, technically, you can't. Uh, being a national park, you're not supposed to land. However, uh, yeah, the, the four drives that we've got there will get us up as far as we can with the wind of the river's low, and we can uh, proceed on that. The drone is okay. We would like to um, try and get, the, get to know the Saab Carapace technology a bit more, and if we can undersling it on the drone. This would be pick up metallic objects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the issue with the drone is that it's, it's line of sight sort of uh, use and that sort of thing. Um, but we have we have used it somewhat limited to about two k's, and by that you can't see it. So it's up there, and uh, yeah, we've sort of even with the drone, we've come to the conclusion you you won't good chance you won't see it if you went right over it. You really need to touch it, kind of thing. Be there and physically kind of stumble across it. Like if you're in a drone and you've got equipment to pick up metallic objects, oh, you'll find it there. What's the realistic reach distance-wise from the height of the drone to metal on the ground? It will give you, from what I've seen from the technology, is that uh, that you'll get a good accurate representation of whatever's there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, your drone has to be pretty low. Or no, no, it can be can be high. Yeah. <coughs> so what the, the Saab, the Carabus technology that they're currently using is adapted to helicopters and uh, aircraft, and they'll, they can do a sweep. I think it's about 125, 130 knots, and they'll get an accurate representation. It's very accurate, supposedly. The Air Force did a mad run before we went over there, and because of what down below you, it's too confusing. Mm. So everything I've sort of looked into in terms of LiDAR and that sort of thing, you would be wasting your time. So the only true way is to, yeah, suck it up and get in there and... Well, what are the realities of, um, um, I think the practicalities of being able to put a, a, a significant team on the ground in one hit mm -hmm. to, to march? It has been done. Uh, numerous teams have been in there from my understanding over the years. As to the terrain is just more regarded as the issue there, and uh, trying to actually get through it. That's exactly it. That's it. Yeah. I'm glad you understand it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's it's disheartening when you are exhausted, and I said you're trying to take in your minimum weight, but you've got to allow food and that sort of thing where you camp. You you are exhausted, and uh, you think you come out, you have not found it. You've seen the beautiful country, the uh, the rivers and whatnot. However, you think, bugger it, this is I'm never doing this again. So I usually wait for the next year and then psych myself up and we go back in. Where you were going to deep find water problem? Yeah, yep, that is a bit of an issue there. Mm. Also, uh, potentially, I'm trying to work out too whether they've dropped 1080, if they have done any in the area there, to uh, be careful where you source your water from. It's a bit of an issue. But uh, yeah, both me and Dan are very open to help. Uh, and also giving help if anyone's going in there, because I mean, even if it was found, we'd still go hiking through this bush, like this sort of scene here where you're going up the river. And it's just, it is just spectacular country. And it's off the beaten track. No one really gets to see it. So that is stuff. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, what we have both spoken about, because um, there's a lot of people who have given us advice not to say anything and that sort of thing. But uh, then you, you're, um, you know, you're liable for a criminal that sort of thing when you've come across a war grave, as you say. So we have our intention not to touch it, take photographs of the wreck, and depending on how exhausted we are, or if we can get um, cell phone reception or the PS activate the PLP and uh, get a helicopter, Air Force helicopter to come and just pick us up right then. Here you go, here it is. You can take us out as a reward kind of thing, you know. Just get us back to the road. <laughs> yep. So, it is off the beaten track. Yeah. So you've got uh, Westport just here, and you're tracking uh, down. This is the Ohokano, this is one way in. And this is our favourite route to get in. You've got the Blackwater running up through here. I don't know if you've looked into that. It's quite narrow. 
But as um, yeah, the interesting thing is, is it, is it here? A lot of people say no. It's either to the east or it's to the north. Um, I said I'm open to speculation. I, if I found out it was to the east, I personally wouldn't wouldn't go there. It's just so remote, and you've you've got no. It's difficult to get into. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so I said if you were tracking out their formation and they roughly broke off, and I suppose if he did go to the right, there's a good chance he is here. But if they were to the Deniston um, as well, they, they may be close toward here around the Burns Bluff area. And uh, good luck trying to find it through there, I think. It's pretty gnarly up around here. I said I've taken an aeroplane up here numerous times and uh, scoured the area best I can in the wind time when I'm. Uh, can't get in there, so do a lot of aerial reconnaissance straight down. And then the winter months, when I'm lying awake at night, I can at least bring these photos up and just try and uh, there's a, there's certain things you can do with Photoshop and uh, try and highlight any sort of reflection and that sort of thing. Uh, not that it will be a reflection, but uh, it does give a bit of indication of like a negative effect, and you can uh, uh, see see certain things. Makes it a bit clearer. Um, yeah, so it's kind of all this disappearance is trying to piece the puzzle together best you can. And I said, unfortunately, that uh, the verdict and uh, the statements that were made at the time of the disappearance weren't flash. So you've got to try and do your best with it. I'm surprised at the time in the courts how they weren't really saying, well, if you're contradicting yourself here with these sorts of statements and uh, his actions as well with he's got an aircraft. If, if Bob Reynolds is turning off formation and he's got one guy who's got wind, all on his windscreen without a radio, how's he communicating to him, hand signals or whatnot? If he has got lefties, um, you'll, you'll find if you read the official reports and the statements made by pilots, things do definitely contradict each other in terms of what happened when. And that definitely makes it, makes it really hard. But uh, it's said there's only one way to really get this now, and that's just to get in there and have a go. Any other questions? I think I've sort of covered everything I have there. See, so we're trying to get in uh, when the weather's good next. So it comes down to work commitments and that sort of thing and finding a break when we're both free and then getting the weather right and then you go and hack away. Thank you very much, Matt. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.